This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, money nerds, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've got huge plans for the weekend. Huge. I got a date with Irene from the Sizzler. I'm all stocked up on extra hair gel. I picked her some roses. I've found growing in our neighbor's flower bed. It's time to get the romance blossoming. But first, we got a great show today. Welcome our special roundtable guest from the Chief Mom Officer blog. Welcome Liz. Also, from LenPenzo.com, Tony Robbins. <laughs> Just kidding, it's Len Penzo. Tony Robbins is way too tall to fit in this basement. And from the Afford Anything podcast, Paula Pant. Check out today's fintech segment, Ever Think About Buying Art as an Investment? From Artthena, we welcome Madeline D'Angelo. And here he is, the guy who'd never know a good date when he saw one, Joe Saul Siha. Dough rolling going on in the basement. You know, I don't know what that date thing uh, Doug's talking about is about at all, so I'm going to ignore it. We'll just keep rolling the dough. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Saul Seahigh, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and what a great start to the weekend, huh? We got some fun for you today. We've got an awesome fintech segment in the middle, but you know what else we got? We've got the link that's going to save you a bunch of money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, spelled S-O-F-I, is the place to go when you're looking at your student loans. Because here's the deal. When you refinance with SoFi, the way it works is they've got people on one end, right, that are looking for a better interest rate than the zero they're getting at the bank. They've got you on the other end hoping to get those interest rates down on your student loans. Guess what happens? You two meet. You fall in love, you get the loan that you want. Average person saves over 250 bucks, and uh, they also get the higher interest rate. So it's great for everybody. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. And when you work with them, you're a member, not a customer or not a number, right? Uh, like that a lot. And by the way, not only does the average person save $250 in interest, they also save 100 bucks. So they get 100 bucks. What am I talking about? Save. They get 100 bucks. And that's for student loans and for personal loans. If you're trying to clean up some debt and consolidate it, stackofbenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. And the place that calls them number one whenever you go there, stackofbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Recent Reddit user called magnify money numero uno. Probably didn't say numero uno, just FYI. Said number one when it comes to places to go to check more of the credit card stuff, 
loan stuff, savings account stuff, and checking account stuff. I'm sure they didn't call it that. But anyway, to check all that stuff in one place, 92% of all the stuff that's out there, according to uh, that, is all at Magnify Money. And the next highest is this uh, loser place with only someplace in the mid-60s percent, like 65, 66%. So when you're comparing those products you use every day for your financial picture, why would you just walk into a bank or go to the 65% place when the 92% place is right there? Average person saves $450 in either interest, lower fees, higher interest if it's savings, great stuff. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. We're ready to roll. I can't wait for you to hear not just this fantastic discussion, but also to hear our Friday FinTech segment today because, uh, this makes other stuff I've called quirky seem tame. This is uh, something cool that I found on the interwebs, and I was so happy that uh, Madeline D'Angelo was available to talk to us about it. So let's get this party started, huh? Let's walk across the basement here and fire up my dad's short wave. See if we can get this old, rusty bucket of bolts going one more time. And we're going to start. Hey, Joe, that's a good intro for me. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Is the the old, rusty bucket of bolts out in in Los Angeles, California, dude, okay? Yeah, or did I jump in too early? I didn't even know you were on the line. Len Penzo from LenPenzo.com. That's so great. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about yourself, my friend? I am better now that you're on the shortwave with us. So um, today is your son's birthday. Yes, it is. Can you believe it? 20 years old. I can't believe you have a son who's 20. I thought all your kids were like 40 and long gone. (laughs) So does a lot of people do. That's what people, yes, you're right. Nope, 20. (laughs) Believe it or not. That's that's fantastic. So you guys uh, planning a big party after this then? We certainly are. So hurry up, would you? Actually, that's right. Benny Hanna all the way. And all the way. Uh, let's move out to the desert where joining us from the great state of Nevada, it's from Afford Anything Paula Pant. I just celebrated my half birthday. Isn't that, do you celebrate half birthdays? I acknowledge them by announcing them on podcasts. Almost like Christmas, <laughs> and just, right? That there it went. <laughs> Everybody just got the entire celebration. It's like Christmas in July, right? Paula Pan's half birthday. Exactly, exactly. And guess what, Paula? What? What's that? We have a special guest with us this time. Ooh. Yeah, so we got to clean right. this up a little bit. I Drum think, roll. I think from the great state of Connecticut, from chiefmomofficer.org in the great state of Connecticut, it's our good friend Liz. Liz! Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's about time you got here and made the property values higher. Glad to be here and uh, try to bring things up from the rusty bucket of bolts. That is Len Penzo. <laughs> it, it only gets better. I got to tell you, it's you're way better than Len Penzo. But tell us, because I love your site. Tell everybody about what you do at chiefmomofficer.org. I write all about money, moms, breadwinners, six-figure earners, all kinds of cool stuff. And we will have a link, by the way, on our show notes at stackofbenjamins.com. But I'm so glad that you're here with us. And we've got three fantastic pieces of work so let's uh not waste any time let's do this our first pieces uh, of work man <laughs> what a piece of work what a, we got three pieces of work paul is like one of those isn't me is it <laughs> <laughs> right our first one our first uh, piece of work comes to us from raptitude.com getting better at being human i you know the more i read this blog the more i really like it how to buy happiness and paula pant since you're chatty tonight we're going to start with you This piece is all about that, you know what, buying happiness can happen, but it's a really individual pursuit. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, he's so he starts the story by talking about a particular purchase that he made that wouldn't necessarily have a lot of value for many other people, but for him, it's totally worth it. And so that for that specifically, the example was a $35 like jar of high-end hair paste but like every time that he left the house he would feel self-conscious about his hair because he has this hair paste he can now leave the house and not feel self-conscious and he can like handshake with more confidence and smile at people with more confidence and just generally be out in public 
not feeling really awkward all of the time. And yeah, that's totally worth 35 bucks. That's completely reasonable. Well, hold on. I'm going to get so, back to that, but I got to loop Len Penzo into this because you, you need bigger than, th- I know you do, Len, $35 <laughs> hair paste. <laughs> you got to have like $70 I, hair paste. I need a hair piece is what I need, Joe. That's actually, and if you've had a $35 hair piece, I'd certainly like to see it. Or maybe I wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't like to see it. Actually, I don't think any of us would want to see it. No, the $35 hair piece, like a, just stick the rug on the, paste the rug on the top of your, the shag carpeting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But seriously, I think in your life, there's got to be some things that are like this $35 hair paste that it's not a big deal for other people, but it certainly makes your life more enjoyable. Oh my gosh. You know, I was writing down some things about this when I was reading this article, like what things in my life have done it. And I'm embarrassed to share some of these things, but if you want, I'll go ahead. Shall I? Let me, let me, let me tick off three of them. Okay. Bring it. So the first one is kind of modest, but it's my gardener, $15 a week for my gardener. I'm, you know what? A lot of people say, oh, you're wasting your money, but you know what? It saves me a lot of time. It saves me a lot of effort and I couldn't do the job as fast as he does it for 15 bucks. You know, he's, he's in and out in a half hour. I can't, I can't, I, I can't believe. Really? I, I, I was Good about to stuff about the yard there. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank goodness. I was about to say, Liz, it, I was going to say, that's what uh, the honeybee pencil says. I'm in, Do you want me to give you a couple more? Let me give you a couple more. Real quick. Let's get off of this subject real fast. Uh, yeah. Hey, my uh, another one, and I think a lot of people can relate to this though, is my dog. I spend about a thousand dollars a year, as I looked at my expenses here on my animal, about a thousand dollars a year on my dog, and I every penny of it is worth it. I don't regret it for everything. When you when you do the vet's bills, the licensing, the grooming, and the food, it comes to a thousand bucks a year. And I don't, it doesn't even bother me in the slightest. Well spent, money well spent. I agree with that one because you can take the dog to the bomb shelter, but the gardener, if the apocalypse is around the corner, like uh, I read at lempenzo.com, why do you have a gardener? Just let it go, man. (laughs) Because I have an association (laughs) and I don't like getting nasty letters. (laughs) That's a a good reason. Isn't that funny? I don't care about the apocalypse. The association is worse. (laughs) Okay. And I'll give you my last one. And I know some of your listeners already know about this because I've actually gotten a a couple letters from your listeners trying to sell me some of their stuff, but I'm, I'm into toy trains uh, model. I shouldn't say toy model railroading. And, uh, I spend probably, uh, gosh, I I bet you I spend a hundred bucks a month just buying stuff for my model railroad. Isn't that so awesome though? Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. So Liz, let's bring you into the conversation. Do you agree with this, uh, that you can buy happiness with things that make you specifically happy? Well, yeah. I mean, when you spend your money, you can spend it on something that makes you happy temporarily or on something that makes you happy more longer term. So I like how they're looking at kind of their frivolous purchases and comparing it against how happy this high-end hair paste makes them, but you- which I totally, I totally agree with it, but not the hair paste part because- that just is kind of weird. Uh, I mean, I spend some money on my hair. That's one thing I do as opposed to like instead of spending on cable or some other things that I don't really care about, I'd rather have decent looking hair. So I totally get that. I do have to say that in this article, they had a giant pile of receipts. So I don't know what else they're buying, but I think they're buying a lot more than hair paste. Oh, I think they are too. And we're going to get to that in a second. But what's funny is you talk about short term, which is what he's talking about, right? The hair paste is going to run out versus long term. I think your point is if you have a, if you've got this long term versus short term, is it the hair paste that makes your life better? Or is it putting that money in a Vanguard mutual fund? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to take 35 bucks and your choices are buy some coffee or buy the hair paste, then the hair paste probably make you happier. But if your choices are pay 35 bucks for hair paste or invest for retirement or for your kid's college or whatever, I'd rather do that. But where does that come in, Paula? I mean, if we're talking short term versus long term, you know, you see these people that they invest everything for the long term, but then they, you know, they get hit by a bus two years later and well, there it goes. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of saying something that sounds kind of obvious and cliche, it's all about balance. So do both. Save for the long term and prepare for the long term while also enjoying the short term. And also be mindful of the fact that enjoyment, like happiness and spending money are not synonymous. 
So find ways, particularly in the short term, find ways where you can be happy and you can really enjoy yourself that don't require spending a lot of money. Like, for example, if you enjoy the outdoors, that's free and it's awesome. So do more of that. But what if you don't? I mean, what if you what if you enjoy high end hotels, let's say? Well, you can still enjoy that every now and again, as long as you don't do too much of it. I mean, a high-end hotel is what, 200 bucks a night, 300 bucks a night, something like that. If you use a like a, an app like Hotel Tonight for a last minute deal, yeah, you could probably get like 200 bucks a night for that. And if you do that even one night a month for like one like really special evening per month, that's really not that much in the grand scheme of things for most middle-class people. Len Penzo, how long do you think it's been since Paula Pan stayed at a high-end hotel when she says it's $200 a night? I want to know where those high-end hotels are that are $200 a night. I want that one. Paula thinks a high-end hotel is a tent with an extra room. But uh, I think what Paula's saying, though, when she talks about short-term and long-term, is you can have your hair piece. piece. You can have your you can you can have your hair you piece. Have your hair piece and your hair piece yeah. and your long-term investment yes. all at the same time. Right, Liz, and eat it too. I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Is that what she's saying, Len? I think so. Yeah, but I, I think if you have a thirty-five dollar hair piece, you need a thirty-five dollar hair paste too. But if you have a good hair piece, you don't need a hair paste. So how much hair piece paste can a hair piece paste? Oh yeah, boy! Hair paste. Uh, never mind. Holy cow! You know, <laughs> that'll go on the cutting room floor. Don't worry about it. I'm exhausted. They'll fix uh, that in post. <laughs> we, like, we, we fix the we fix the entire show in post. You know what? This article has a lot more with it, but I think I'm going to leave it right there because this is. Oh uh, no, no! Why did you have something else on this you wanted to talk about? Well, you know, I I wanted to say I disagree with the concept that investments. He says investments are generally consumed immediately, and I'm I'm like. That's not, I totally disagree with that. I mean, the whole purpose of an investment is to put money for the future and, and let it sit and, and accumulate extra earnings. I thought he was but, saying the opposite of that. I think he was saying that the things that you buy that you consume right now are also investments. Liz, did you, wait, who's right here, Liz? <laughs> oh, who knows? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, so the, never mind. I'm all messed up. <laughs> Len just got me with the hair piece. I'm sorry. So, uh, you know? <laughs> so, so really, Joe, you think he's saying the opposite? I do. I don't know. I... So, Paula, let's ask you. Is it that he's saying that, the, 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 Len says, he's saying that all, the investments are consumable right away? And what I'm saying is, I think what he's really saying is, is that those things that you consume right away, those are also investments. It's all best use of a dollar. And sometimes spending a dollar today is a good purchase of happiness. But you got to think of it as if you're, even if you're putting a mutual fund, you're consuming it today because you're consuming it into the mutual fund. That's what, that's what I thought. What did you think? Mm. Joe, I, I agree with your interpretation of what he is saying. So, yes, ditto to that. But I disagree with the way that he's using the word investments. I have a much narrower definition of the word investment, and I don't think that it's right to refer to a discretionary consumer purchase as an investment. That doesn't mean that that discretionary consumer purchase is wrong. Yeah. It's simply not an investment. But that's just my opinion. I, as and far I agree as what the author is saying, yeah, I, I agree, Joe, with your interpretation, which is that he's saying that there can be discretionary consumer purchases that you make today that have a ton of value. I like thinking of it as an investment, though. When I buy something, I like thinking, is this a good investment? You know, do I really need that Snickers bar? <laughs> like, is that, is that just going to... Well, Joe, but, but but when you do an investment, right? You expect, and, and I'm sorry, I'm probably being pedantic here, and because I, but I've just got to bring. This. When you truly invest in something, you expect to get the principal back, right? So calling a thirty-five dollar jar of hair paste an investment just doesn't work for me because that's gone in six months. Right, but I mean, <laughs> it's hair paste. <laughs> <laughs> They're investing. Correct. In their Liz, I got the feeling from you just by your tone of voice. I got the feeling that you also agree with these nimrods that they that the short term stuff's not an investment. No, not really. I mean, I guess he's just using it to mean that you're whatever you're spending it on, you're investing it in something, whether that's Snickers bars or double stuffed Oreos, hair paste, or college. You can only spend the thirty five bucks on one thing. So yeah. whatever it is, you're investing in what that one thing is. But I agree with Paula. I don't use investment to refer to 
hair paste. Oh, Liz, sorry you can't stay. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was nice while it lasted. Yeah. Liz is like, thank goodness this thing's over. <laughs> I am so happy that I don't have to do this anymore. Let's move on, though, seriously, to our second piece. And by the way, for people who want more, because there is a lot more here, it talks about chocolate, talks about some good stuff. Link to it in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Next, we haven't been to USA Today in a while. And this this just caught my attention, and I really wanted to run it by some cool people like you three. And it's this headline by Kevin McCoy says, Wells Fargo board members reelected amid anger over unauthorized accounts. So for people that have been under a rock, Wells Fargo opened up all of these accounts in people's names so that they could meet sales incentives. And it turned out that, you know, lots of Wells Fargo customers had many, many, many more accounts than they thought that they had. So it's, this piece says, Wells Fargo's board of directors was reelected Tuesday despite angry and at times shouted opposition from investors who demanded the panel's ouster in response to the bank scandal over millions of unauthorized accounts. So, Len, I think I'm going to start with you. So you invest in a company like Wells Fargo. Bad stuff goes down. The CEO resigned. But beyond that, doesn't seem to be there's been a lot of change. Do you stop investing in this company when they reelect the same people that were supposedly in charge of oversight at the time that this happened? Yeah, that's a tough question. If I feel that the problem that occurred that that get everybody's dander up would affect future earnings, then I probably would bail out. But sometimes they do things that are more, you know, people say, well, they're investing in I don't know. I'm just making something up. They, they, they hate cats, you know, and they did something against cats. So therefore, I'm going to sell the stock. Right. It's something like that. I would not even bother with. But I have to look at what their decisions are. And if it's, if I think it's going to affect the earnings, then I most definitely would bail out. Yeah. But Liz, isn't there a reason to get out just in the fact that they're reelecting these same people that were there? So as an example, Let's say that there's this company and thieves came in and stole a bunch of stuff and there was people that were supposed to be watching the safe. You reelect those same people again, even though they were the people that were supposedly in charge of that? I mean, I get what Len's saying about the future, but what about the past and the stuff that happened? Shouldn't they be fired because of that? I would think most of them should be fired, yeah. I mean, just look at what happened, right? 5,300 people laid off, 185 million in fines. Obviously, the board was asleep at the switch for years. Why did they change? Because they got caught and it got publicized and then they got slapped with fines and now people don't want to do business with them. So it seems that there's some major oversights on behalf of the board where they ignored some significant things. And, you know, frankly, I mean, I'm with Len that if it had no effect on future earnings, it was just bad press type of thing, then it could still be a good investment. But in this case, it seems that the ethics lapses go back quite a few years. So it would definitely make me not want to invest in them. Yeah, Paula, how about you? I know you don't do a ton of individual stock investing, which is why I'm bringing you in last. But <laughs> but, but, but in this case, hypothetically, where do you stand on that? Dude, the fact that they all got real. Okay, like if you work the drive through at McDonald's or if you work at a cash register at 7-Eleven, you could get fired just for being late. Right. So the fact that these guys, I assume they're guys, all got reelected and all kept their jobs after overseeing this terrible scandal, uh, $185 million. Oh, no, they were fined $185 million. I don't even know how much the, the yeah. value of the terrible stuff that they did is. Yeah, right, right. But like... And the 5,300 people who lost their jobs, the bank employees who lost their jobs, what must it feel like to be them? You know, you're one of the bank employees who lost their jobs, but the board is just like still sitting pretty. Really? That doesn't seem fair. I don't get it. I mean, it reminds me of the 2008 crisis when only one person went to jail. Just like, <laughs> are you kidding me? All of these bank issues. We had Sheila Bear from the FDIC on, who was in charge of FDIC at that time, talking about just all the things these CEOs were even saying, just amazing. Len, let's, uh, let's widen this for a second. You know, if you invest in individual stocks, how much do you look at like the nature of the board and what they make versus future earnings potential, future price appreciation potential, that kind of thing? 
You know what? I look at that stuff. I do look at that stuff and it, it makes me sometimes it makes me kind of angry. But and let me say this. I don't know how many times you, how many stocks you've owned, Joe, but you get the board votes in the in the mail. Yes, right? right. And you get so many votes based on how many shares of stock you own. Right? right. But here's where it's stacked. And this I never like this. The board recommends people for the next election and they run. Most of these people run unopposed. So you can either check the box for the people they recommend, or you can decline to vote, or you can write somebody in. But the write-in is pointless. You've got millions and millions and millions of votes, so it's it's stacked, and those people that they recommend are going to get almost guaranteed to get in. Right. So it's irritating as a stockholder myself. I hate the voting. I feel like I'm being shafted every time I vote, which even mean, though I have shares. Yeah, right. Which means, Liz, I think your only choice is. I mean, I totally agree with Len, but that means your only choice is just to vote with your feet. It's so true. There's really not a lot of power that any individual investor has. I I think I saw in this article that one of the people that controls 1.6 million shares from the AFL-CIO, I believe it was, voted against the board. And even they didn't make a difference. One they still point, got reelected. Right? 1.6 million. How do you, when it comes to your investment choices, are you just looking at forward earnings or do you take this type of stuff into account? Uh, I take this kind of stuff into account too because I do mostly index funds like Paula does, but I have a bit of play money that where I invest in individual stocks. So I'm not going to buy the stock of a company where it looks like there's problems that go back many years and go back to the whole culture of the organization. I just don't want any part of that because changing the culture of a whole organization is really very difficult and you can't do it with the same people at the top. I think it's a great place to leave it. Well, let, let, I just wanted to let the record show I would dump my Wells Fargo stock if I owned any for in this case. So let the record show that. Just, it's just unbelievable to me that they all got <laughs> that they all got reelected. When I read this, that's why I had to bring it up. I'm like, really? Oh my goodness! After that, and you reelected all of them. Good work there. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that's outrageous. Yeah, I feel like uh, who's that guy, Doctor Phil? How's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> Got to take a quick break from talking to Liz, Len, and Paula. Say a big thanks to everybody who's headed on down to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You can tell that uh, I'm a little over caffeinated today and I had a good workout this morning. But you know what? It's a fantastic workout when you go to magnify money because I like workouts that are super easy. And I don't feel like I'm straining any muscles. And it's so easy the way they set up magnified money. Like it, it just, it's four simple rows. In fact, you know what we're going to do right now, kids? We're going to go there. So I put in stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You can hear me type and bam, look at that. I'm there. Compare the best offers for, I want to look at uh, savings account interest rates. That's what I really want to know. Cause you know, those, the top ones have been tracking just over 1% lately. And, uh, the ones that like your local bank, the ones at your local bank are well, well less than that. So how about that? We've got one up at one and a quarter percent, American Airlines Credit Union. It also says very transparent, fine print, meaning you don't have to really worry about that. Only a minimum $5 balance, 1.25%. And then PurePoint Financial's number two. They get a C, lots of fine print. You got to have 10 grand, but they're also matching that at 1.25. Then CIT Bank gets a B for their fine print, $100 balance, 1.15. Poplar Direct is next, gets an F for their fine print, $5,000 balance, 1.15. See how easy that is? I'm just looking at these four rows and they're comparing all this stuff. In fact, they're telling you how much money you'll save on uh, the amount of money that you put in at the top. And I put in uh, $11,000, don't know why I did that. Probably just fat fingered it. And it says I'm gonna get 138 bucks by doing that, cha-ching. How easy was that? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. All right. I wish I could tell you where I first ran into Arthena, but I don't remember. I just remember thinking this is the coolest thing ever because a guy that I've bought a little art, you know, I haven't bought a ton of art, but I have bought some. And I always thought it would be a great idea if there were a way to buy art and make it more easy to purchase, but also less volatile, right? Because buying art is a super volatile thing to try to buy. You buy a picture, you've got no idea if it's going to be worth anything in the future. And there's a great board game called Modern Art that I really like where, you know, the prices of different painters goes up and down in value. 
So lots of fun. So I reached out to their CEO, Madeline D'Angelo, and she said, yes, she can talk to us about it. So this is an exciting thing. I like where this is headed. So let's say hello to Madeline D'Angelo and Arthina. coming down to the basement from Arthena, Madeline D'Angelo joins us. Have a seat. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me over. Well, I love this idea of investing in art because as a longtime financial planner back in the day, you know, we'd look at this risk reward pyramid and I'm sure you've seen this and art is always right at the tippy top, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think that art generates uncorrelated alpha Right. Uh, which, you know, I think is an extremely overused phrase these days, but it's something that all investors are really looking for as it becomes more and more common and important to build out fully diversified portfolios. Well, and that's what's wild to me. When did you have the aha or did you have the aha or did someone else have the aha that, hey, we could totally create this diversified position that looks a lot more like an ETF or a mutual fund? I had the idea back in 2013 after working as a dealer and an appraiser and coming from kind of the world of museum operations about building uh, financial products focused around art assets. And, um, you know, I had pitched the idea to a bunch of my friends and my contemporaries in the art world, and they all said that I was absolutely nuts. You know, right. I got a lot of this will never work. You're running down a terrible idea. You're going to ruin your reputation in the art market. And it was just so silly to me to think that, you know, creating a, a new financial instrument would create um, such a visceral uh, response from so many people when I just thought I was adding volume to the market. Well, with your team, how did you do it? Do you backtest how much artists, uh, I don't know, when works are sold, how much they've gotten in the past and you build algorithms around that? Where did you start? So uh, we realized that if we really wanted to make art investment something that was tangible for everyone, that we had to take a quantitative approach and that we'd have to be able to provide financial analysis that was comparable to any other investment, uh, what we're calling asset allocators in the office, so wealth managers, RIAs, uh, you know, hedge fund managers, large financial institutions that we sell the product through would understand. So, you know, we build funds from collections of individual works of art. And uh, we target works that we predict to grow about 12 to 20% um, year over year over the five-year lifetime of the funds. And for those funds to have an acceptable amount of risk. So we really build our funds based out on MPT, modern portfolio theory, focusing on the right risk return ratio for each fund that we're building. And um, we use, I guess, <laughs> our, our CTO would say we use cutting edge analytics over millions of historical auction results. So we pull yeah. historical auction results primarily coming from auction over a 30-year window. And we pull from 80 different auction houses all over the world. So we're looking at the global market. And what we do is we invest in three market sectors. So post-war contemporary, modern, and emerging. And that accounts for over 60% of the volume and value of the global art market. Then we invest sub $250,000 which accounts for 98% of the transactions that are happening there. Uh, so we're really going for where is the most liquidity happening in this market as we build out these funds. I was disappointed, Madeline, that I didn't see Velvet Elvis and I didn't see Dogs Playing Poker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, two classics for sure. I mean, right. I've definitely bought a Velvet Elvis painting in my lifetime <laughs> as, a, as a gag gift for a friend. So, uh, you know, I was upset that that didn't go up in value more. Yeah, but, um, yeah, didn't make the cut. So when you're looking at, I guess what you're saying is when you're looking at an artist to add to a portfolio or to be a part of a portfolio, you're looking historically, not just at that artist, but also that type of work and and trends around that type of work? Precisely. So we, what we find that's really interesting is that when you're looking at the total art market and you're talking about this uncorrelated investment, you know, some artists are completely correlated <laughs> have complete like total correlation with the S&P 500. Wow. And some don't. And some don't, right? And, and then some artists correlate with each other, and we can infer a lot about the growth of their market from the other artists that correlate with them. So, you know, it's just there's so much data that exists that it's really hard to just say, you know, completely this is an uncorrelated market. So well, what happens in times like 2000? 7, 2008, you know, we had the big housing crisis, stock market went down. Does mm -hmm. the art market also go down? It did. It, it dropped by about 20%, but it rebounded within 12 months to pre-recession heights. 
And we've seen that over the past 30 years in the past three periods of economic crisis. So that's where ARC gets the reputation of being relatively recession-proof. But uh, I have a theory that, uh, you know, you see the volume of transactions in the art market increase with the growth in high net worth investors. And high net worth investors are supposed to double, if not triple, within the next 10 to 15 years, right? It's the fastest growing segment of wealth. And as technology continues to disrupt traditional investments, high net worth investors will continually look for investments that have scarcity, yeah, scarcity of resource, uh, which is why I think the art market will only continue to be valuable and grow because it will be inherently an investment that will always have scarcity because that's one of the main reasons why it's created. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you talk about high net worth investors, too, in 2007, 2008 and other down periods, a high net worth investor, unless they're leveraged to the hilt, is going to rebound much more quickly and not be affected as much, I think. I would probably agree with that. Yeah. This is not for everybody. I know that the way that you build your funds, they're for accredited investors. Can you explain that? Sure. Uh, unfortunately, it's only open to accredited investors. So we get a lot of non-accredited investors that are always reaching out and telling us they're fans of the product. Uh, but basically, you have to ha- make a minimum of $200,000 a year or have a million dollars in net worth, not including your primary residence. Because what is the minimum investment for, for people to get involved? So, you know, we have um, the equity crowdfunding platform that we really leave leave up as a passion project, right? Um, okay. So that's not really the main economic driver of our Athena. So we still have, um, I think last week we had about a million dollars come in and commitments through the platform, which was really exciting for us. Wow. But what we really, what we do is we wholesale our products to wealth managers and uh, large financial institutions. And then, then in turn, they market them to their clients. So, you know, uh, we would just close to fund... Um, that was about $20 million in AUM about a month ago, and we closed about $2 million in sales per week over a 10-week period. Well, it's a fascinating concept. I'd never heard of it before I ran across you and Arthena. I thought it was, <laughs> as a guy who loves art, I was just so excited to see that you could have a diversified portfolio and have art inside it. I never knew anything about correlation or uncorrelation. I thought that's phenomenal. People get more at arthena.com. Exactly. You can come on to artthena.com and, and see all the different funds that we have open and hopefully learn a little bit about the art market. And we have a whole team of very, very hungry startup employees who's <laughs> <laughs> happy to answer any questions that you have. We call them team members, though. You know, we're a, we're a flat structure here. <laughs> well, that's better than for us, Madeline, where they're called uh, basement dwellers. So much <laughs> Much, 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 much better. It's artthena.com. And you know what? If you're driving down the road or you're out on the morning walk, we'll have the link at our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Madeline, thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, no. Thanks so much for having me. Once again, we don't endorse any of these companies. I don't have enough knowledge about them to endorse them. But just conceptually, isn't that cool? I, I just think. I just think that's the coolest thing ever. So we'll have a link uh, to Arthena on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. And remember, you have to be a, an accredited investor. And I apologize. I didn't say that when Pier Street was on. For some of these, you have to be an accredited investor. So goal number one, become a, an accredited investor. Goal number two, then, and don't get me wrong, that may not be your goal. But if you want to invest in this fund, goal number two will have to be then to invest in something like Arthena. All right, let's get back to our Awesome discussion with Liz, the chief mom officer, Len Penzo from LenPenzo.com and Paula Pant from Afford Anything. Let's move on to our third piece, which is uh, going to be some fun. How to know if you're underfunded for retirement. This is written by our friend Brian O'Connell over at US News. Uh, Paula, you know, before we get to anything in this piece, the title itself how to know if you're underfunded your retirement account. For somebody listening to this, it's like 23. Does it matter if you're under or overfunded or is it just more important to get started? If you're 23, it's too early to, that question is not applicable, right? If you're 23, there's no way to be under or overfunded at that age. By the time you're 40, sure, we or even 35 or 30 even, we can start having that conversation. But yeah, if you're in your early 20s, just get started. That's the only way that you could possibly be funded. So Liz, piggybacking on that then, what do you think the age is when knowing if you're underfunded or overfunded, when you think in your gut that that starts to make sense to look at? 
I would agree with Paul. It's sometime between probably 30 and 40. When you're in your 20s, you have to start investing, but you have no idea what your ultimate life is going to end up looking like or your finances or your expenses or anything else that you need to know for retirement. Right. You're, you're only going to have a good sense of that once you're an established adult. So you just get started with something in your 20s. And then in your 30s, you can start to f- try to figure out what your long term expenses are going to look like. But before that, it's really just pointless. Len, it's your son's birthday today. You're talking to him about getting started. What's the number one place you would tell him to start putting money if he's starting to save for retirement? Well, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm going to say. I, I, the first thing <laughs> under your mattress, right? <laughs> Gold and silver, baby. That's what I'm going to tell them. Bunkers um, I, in the bunker. Now, I'm sure most people won't do that. I, I think for simplicity, again, if you're going to invest in stocks, a nice index stock fund, keep it simple, uh, and just start putting some money away into that. And at that age, you can put probably 90% of that into your stocks and 10% into uh, bonds or something safer. And like it says in the article, just put your head down and go. I I don't think, going back to the question about age, Joe, I don't think there's a a set age. I think a lot of it depends on when you started saving for retirement. Because a lot of people, if you didn't start saving for retirement until you're 30, it's pointless to even be looking at if you have enough until maybe you're 50. Yeah. Um, So it's not, to me, it's not so much how old you are when you start looking. It's how long after you've been saving should you start looking? That way you can see, hey, in the past 15 or 20 years, have I been doing the right thing? Do I have enough now? Do I need to change my strategy? No, that's so true because if you're 45 and you're just starting now and you know you're screwed, all it's going to do when you look at whether you're underfunded or not is going to- is going to Depress you. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's no upside, right? Just get going. Correct. Hey, Paul, I just thought of a question for you. What should Len's son invest in? Len, your son just turned 20, right? Correct. I mean, prime time to have a Roth IRA. His tax bracket is going to be super low because he's probably not going to be making that much. And he can just funnel all of that into a Roth and uh, at a, pay the taxes on it now at a super low rate and then enjoy 45 years of tax-exempt compounding growth on all of the dividends and capital gains. That's That's solid. And of course, you know, he can invest inside of that Roth IRA. He can invest in any asset that he wants to. Obviously, I'm, you know, partial to index funds, but that's up to him. He is your son, so he might invest in gold. (laughs) Well, and when you send the bill, Paula, make sure you address it to my son, Matthew. Please don't send it to me, okay? (laughs) Liz, do you think this is all wrong and he should invest in uh, returnables and smokes? Well, that seems like it would be a more appropriate investment for a 20-year-old, yeah. But I lean with Paula. Just open a Roth and throw it all in VTSAX and call it a day. Uh, Sleep soundly. Keep it simple. That is so much less exciting than I was hoping for. I know. Yeah, yeah. Why is boring always the answer when it comes to some of these finance (laughs) things? We're trying to do a radio show here, people. Spice it up. Right. Uh, you can talk about insurance. That's real, always exciting. Well, and actually what's funny is, is that this piece talks about how to know if you're underfunded in retirement and they talk about social security and people getting their social security benefit estimate. We've talked in the past about, okay, social security for your certain age is like waving a magic wand, right? How much of that's really going to be there? Len, how old do you think you have to be to believe what social security tells you you're going to get? 62, 65, <laughs> 67. Look, I'm, I'm 53. I'm, I am not counting. And you I don't believe pension, it. I have social security. I have my 401k and I'm not counting on any of them, Joe. There it is. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to live off of then, Len? Gold. Returnables and cigarettes. <laughs> uh, I was going to say returnables and cigarettes, but I guess, I guess not. Liz, do you agree with that? When do you think people should look at uh, Social Security and say, okay, that number is probably going to happen? Uh, I lean more with Len, honestly. I just ignore Social Security. I mean, they've been saying it's going to go away for many, many years, and I don't think it's going to go away. It's going to go down. Yeah. But we don't know how much it's going to go down. So I'm with Len. Don't count on it until you're about the year before you're going to collect on it. Paula, Social Security going away? Oh, it's not going to go away, but uh, it it will have some 
adjustments that will m- mean that in the future it will gradually be even less of a component of retirement than it is today. Like, for example, the way in which it increases are tied to inflation will uh, be altered slightly. You know, like the alterations will be made in ways that are not uh, protest inducing, not headline inducing, and yet will have a significant impact on people's bottom lines. Awesome. And I think that is a great place for us to to stick a fork in this because <laughs> maybe this podcast is done. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about what's going on where you live. Paula Pant, what's happening on that crazy Afford Anything podcast? Well, you and I, Joe, may or may not have just recorded another show uh, where we answer some people's questions, some A's to their Q's. I can neither confirm nor deny that we did that. <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about Hot Pockets and unicorns, <laughs> Um, and what else? Hot pants. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and uh, that is. Yeah. And we actually answer some real questions, believe it or not. <laughs> Somewhere in there, we got to that as well. Yeah. We do a lot more work there than we actually do here. <laughs> yeah. That is all coming up on one of the future Ask Paula, Ask Paula and Joe P&J episodes. And on top of that, an interview with uh the New York Times bestselling author of You Are a Badass at Making Money, Jen Sincero. You can also find that at the Afford Anything podcast. It was funny. I was just in Austin, Texas, visiting my son in school, and we went to this awesome bookstore called Book People, and Jen was going to be there like three days after I left. And uh, I didn't think about it because I never think about, you know, taking pictures and stuff, but I wanted to send her a picture of me with her book just going, hey, Jen. Because she's crazy, as you know, Paula. <laughs> she's pretty awesome. I like her. I, lo- I love her writing style. Yes, she's incredibly crazy in the best way possible. Speaking of crazy, Lempenzo, what's happening at that crazylempenzo.com? You've heard of airfares, right? And I'm not talking airplane airfares, A-I-R. I'm talking E-R-R-O-R. Airfares. You know, like you'll get a, an airplane, you'll get a flight to Australia for $18, right? You ever see that? Wow, no, but that's cool. No. What happens is the airlines make mistakes, and if you're fast and you know how to capitalize on them, because there's a, there's an actual way to go about doing this without having the airline cancel the fare on you. Uh, anyways, uh, there's an article there in my on lempenzo.com. We talk about the airfares themselves and how you can take advantage of them. Liz, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. Well, I'll tell you what, it was certainly better with you here because if you weren't here, I had to spend another week with these two wackos and you know how that's gone so far. <laughs> so so tell me what's happening at chiefmomofficer.org. So over on my site, we're talking about money, family, and every Wednesday I have a different interview with a breadwinning six-figure and or millionaire mom. So it's pretty awesome. Awesome. Stop on by. And we'll link to that also in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Guys, thanks for playing again this week. Thanks, Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Oh, that's going to do it for this episode. Hey, everybody. We have a new game that we're firing up. And what is the game, you ask? Well, on Fridays, OG isn't here, so I entertain myself by playing a little game where either in the description of the show in the title of the show, or in the first few sentences of the show, I have hidden a clue, and it's something that is a little awkward, might not seem completely normal, and I've hidden it there. That clue then will lead you to next week's clue, which will lead you to next week's clue, then the next week's clue. And actually, this is, we have seven clues starting here through the end of this eight-week period. For those of you new to the show, we have podcasts for eight weeks, then we have a week where we play Greatest Hits episodes. So... This is going to go the full seven, and you just got clue number one today. Let's talk about what's going on next week on the show because it's pretty exciting. I love inspirational stories. And uh, Richie, our producer, is sitting right here. Richie, how much debt did uh, Claudia and and Garrett pay off? Because I don't remember. $240,000. Isn't that inspirational? And guess what? We have Claudia Pennington from the Two Cup House blog coming on. And you may know that when they paid off their mortgage, we actually talked about them a couple months ago on the round table. So if uh, that name sounds familiar, that's because we've talked about them before. And then 
We're going to end financial stress now. Actually, we're going to talk about opportunity cost. A lot of people have heard this term opportunity cost, don't know what it is. We're also going to talk about another term, sunk cost. What is that? My good friend, Emily Guy Birkin, coming back down to the basement. Emily's been here a couple times before, and I got a bone to pick with Emily because her book, Choose Your Retirement, Find the Right Path to Your New Adventure, which is a previous book of hers, has the best cover ever because it says Emily Guy Birkin's book is the adventure guide to retirement. Joe Saul Seahigh, Stacking Benjamins podcast. This new book doesn't have me on the front cover. So we're going to address that concern immediately on Wednesday. And then on Friday, guess who's coming back? The evil HR lady. We received a letter specifically for her. So we're going to bring that to you. All right. Action pack week next week. Go stack some Benjamins. Have a great weekend. Special thanks to Liz from ChiefMomOfficer.org for joining us today. You'll find a link to Liz's blog and other exciting stuff at our website, StackingBenjamins.com. Also, thank you to Madeline D'Angelo from Artfina for stopping by. You'll find out more at Artfina.com or at our show notes page at StackingBenjamins.com. And a big no thanks to Irene from The Sizzler for canceling on our date. Luckily, it was for a good reason, though. Apparently, she has a big blood test Monday she's got to study for. So, hope she aces it. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the cryptically named LenPenzo.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Sihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Tune in Monday when we're joined by Claudia Pennington from the Two Cup House blog. She'll share the story of how she and her husband, Garrett, paid off tons of debt, downsized their life, and are chasing financial freedom. It's a motivational Monday you won't want to miss. See ya! What do you suppose they call that? A novelty act? I don't know, but it wasn't too bad. Well, that's a novelty. (laughs) Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.